Good evening and welcome to this leadership seminar podcast organized by the Rotary Club of Mumbai Daisar jointly with our Rotary Club of Daisar Coast. We all need an inspiration, a role model and a lighthouse which can be our shining north star to success. I remember that when we were in our 20s our exposure was limited and so was our choice in choosing our careers or goals. Today is the era of startups and youngsters having their IPOs in their 20s and it is not surprising to see millionaires who are barely out of college. That's exactly why we invite eminent personalities for our podcast so our detractors can hear inspirational stories of ordinary and simple people just like what they are today but who have now excelled in their respective fields and careers and also made themselves a name and a reputation that the world respects these inspirational people will definitely change the way our young generation look at their lives or careers our inspirational leaders will definitely open new horizons new opportunities and always be a role model to our young generation ladies and gentlemen it's my honor tonight to welcome our inspiration rohit vidwans to our leadership seminar may i now request our rotrack immediate past president darsh pijur and our rotrack club secretary shreyans jain to handle the future proceedings hello boys and girls welcome to the future framework i'm rotractor darsh pijur and i'm rotractor with me my co-host i am rotractor shreyans jain Now, one question that we were repeatedly asked, and naturally so, on announcing the podcast, was, "What is the future framework all about?" So, here's a little background on the future framework. When you ask a fresh graduate, your average twenty-two-year-old, "What is it that you want to do in life? Where do you see your career heading?" We'll predominantly give you one of these more common answers: CA, software engineer, banana hai, lawyer, architect, designer. With one thing in common, that they want to work at one of those big companies. where the growth is abundant packages are good and where they can make an impact but how do they apply either through college placements or they simply do what their friends are doing now this makes for a very very limited scope of options since there are only those few well known companies that show up to your college placements or only a handful of companies that are generally known now there are these hidden gem of fields out there that are absolutely the future that are rapidly expanding that have endless opportunities which these pressures or anybody in their 20s completely miss on now why does that happen because of lack of awareness and there is this is the gap we are attempting to bridge through this podcast we are trying to bring in world class individuals who are at the top of their hidden gem of fields and uh, and we will have them talk about their fields we will we will get to know the growth the potential opportunities in in those fields and we will uh, we will ask them to guide our listeners uh, on exactly how a fresh graduate or a person who is in his uh, 20s can actually start out in this sector so for our very first episode we have mr rohit vidwans uh, rohit sir is presently the chief in- chief engineering and manufacturing officer at mpa computing in in past rohit sir has been director of engineering for intel architecture group india followed by the director of engineering for intel atom products globally and subsequently the vice president of platform engineering 
for Intel group of companies worldwide. Thank you so much, uh, Rohit sir, to be uh, part of this first episode. And uh, we hope uh, we'll have a lot of good interactions today. Thank you. Thank you both for the introduction. Happy to be part of this uh, podcast. So again, thank you so much, Rohit sir, for agreeing to be our very first guest. Now I'm sure our listeners are eagerly waiting to pick on your brain and dive right into the set of questions. So without yeah. further ado, I think we can start off with the questions. So Rohit sir, could you tell us a little about your beginning in the semiconductor sector, about your time back at Intel, and what is that big bright change? What is that gap that you guys are attempting to fill with Ampere computing? Sure, sure. I think there's a lot of lot of things you're packing into that one first question. <laughs> so maybe let me let me start a bit further back uh, from my early college days, right? Which was uh, I did my high school in uh, in uh, King George Dadar, and then uh, uh, attended college at uh, Ruparel Matunga, and I was lucky enough to be in the very first electronics batch that uh, Ruparel College had uh, put together. Uh, and so that is really where my interest in just different types of engineering, typically it was mechanical and industrial and power engineering fields in India in those days. But my first exposure to electronic engineering and understanding or playing with ICs and doing some small projects uh, started off at uh, Ruparel College in the electronics batch. So that is really what sparked my interest in just the overall field in, uh, of computers. Uh, unfortunately, those days, uh, we didn't really have access to the old PCs in India. So my first uh, access to PCs was after, after Rupal College. Uh, my father sent me overseas to the US for my undergraduate degree in computer engineering. And that is really when I got hands on my first, uh, first PC, IBM PC, to start playing with and start uh, learning some basic programming. And that continued to spark my interest in the overall field of uh, computer engineering. Uh, so so after, after I finished my undergrad, then I continued, wanted to do further studies uh, in that same field. So I decided I will go to take a master's degree, uh, basically graduate studies uh, in the same field. And then right after I finished uh, my master's degree, uh, I got a job as a entry level engineer at Intel. Uh, and uh, that was it was a new group that Intel had formed to start building some new type of uh, chips. And we'll talk a lot more about silicon and chips uh, in, the, in subsequent minutes. And, uh, but uh, it, it was really exciting to be part of a small team, a fresh engineer, uh, where, where we could really jump in and start learning so many things from the more experienced engineers who were there in that team. And that was one of the most exciting things uh, uh, experiences uh, in the early part of the career that uh, that I got an opportunity to do, right? And that that momentum, I think Ruparel College Electronics Batch, uh, first visibility access to computers, and then that first job at Intel really drove the momentum for me to continue uh, excelling and continue de developing a, a, a long career in this field of uh, chip design and platform engineering. And then, and then, uh, uh, just go ahead. Uh, pause, pause. If you have any questions along the way, okay. I'll just, I'll just keep, uh, keep talking and narrating, narrating the story. Sure, sure, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so uh, I think uh, one of the things that uh, I, I would like to share with your viewers and listeners is the, the fundamentals that you need to be doing well, to be able to do well in this industry is really a good, strong foundation in maths and sciences. Without that, you really can't, can't develop the deep expertise you need in designing chips and in hardware engineering and platforms and all of that, right? So first step is of course, to have, uh, have a passion for the basic chemistry and physics and mathematics, and then develop some level of expertise in those areas, right? And that has to be your foundation. And then on top of that, then you can start building uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, expertise in various, various areas, right? Uh, one thing to understand, I think you asked about what is the field in silicon engineering? It's, it's fortunately not, not just one field, right? I mean, the scope of, of the different parts of this uh, silicon engineering platform engineering that you can approach is so vast, right? Uh, we can start with just very basic things like we use a lot of software to do our design. So you could be in the computer engineering field, but be focused on the software aspect of it because it. you need a lot of understanding to develop all the tools so that we can do the design of these complicated microprocessors and complicated chips. So that's the whole software field. Then comes the actual designing of the chip itself, right? There, there are fields like architecture. So how do you define the high level a scope of the chip that you're trying to do, right? You have to talk to customers, understand what kind of uh, features or uh, uh, capabilities that the customers are looking for. Then you have to then transfer that into, okay, how do I implement those particular capabilities and features in the chip that I'm building in a, at a company like Intel or AMD, for example. Then, then comes, okay, then there is all the uh, uh, work that is needed to make the chip function for years and years and years, right? Because you and I, when we buy laptops, we don't use laptops for a few weeks and throw it away. We, we trust the laptop gonna stay with us for years, right? Uh, so that how do you design those chips so that they will uh, survive and work well through all of these uh, just day-to-day -day handlings of the machines and the PCs and the laptops and cell phones, right? So there is a whole art and different types of knowledge and capability to do to be able to do that. So that's another field. Then, then you keep keep kind of building on it. Uh, a chip itself doesn't do much. There is a whole layer of embedded software that is put on top of the chip for it to also function. So there is another layer of software that comes into play. And then finally, it's the whole manufacturing process of how the chip actually gets manufactured in the factories in. Uh, like Taiwan and uh, uh, China and Vietnam and so on, right? And the foundries, TSMC and so on. There's a whole aspect of how do you build the machines for the foundry? How do you, uh, uh, the, the physics and the chemistry comes into play on the foundry side. And then finally, when the chip comes back, the chip alone, it, it'll sit on the table fine, but it has to go into a system. So a system is like your cell phone is a system your PC is a system, your laptop is a system. So you need to be able to design and build the whole system. So you can see the whole span of computer engineering, right? All the way from the tools to build the chip, designing and building the chip itself, the manufacturing aspect of the chip, various layers of software that uh, are involved in, in kind of putting everything together and finally building the various systems that you'll actually end up using uh, either as uh, as individual like phones and laptops or in factories and so on, right? So that's kind of a 
very quick walk through the entire scale of the opportunities that are available uh, in, in the chip design uh, system and hardware engineering uh, domains. Thank you so much sir, for that insight. So if, I, if I'm not wrong, there are a few steps which are involved uh, in like developing the entire chip. So it's software part, first designing it, then building it, and then manufacturing it. Correct? That's the that's whole... Correct. That's correct. That's and the then, nutshell. yeah, exactly. After manufacturing, there is a lot Putting of time it into spent a in system. testing, even just testing the chip. Testing it, the does chip. it, is it doing everything that uh, we expected it to do? Is it going to meet the uh, kind of the, call it the electrical and can it meet the different temperatures or so temperature in Bombay and the humidity in Bombay uh, versus temperature if a laptop is being used in Greenland or Iceland or Northern yeah. Russia, can it handle the range of temperatures and the range of humidity? All of those testings also have to be done on the chip and the system, right? Yeah, yeah. So, sir, I have a related question to that. Uh, so, like, you have just spoken about the chips used in uh, laptops, mobile phones, and uh, computers, tablets. So, what are the other applications where we can use these microprocessors? Or we can also talk about what are the other impactful fields where we can where we can use these chips. Oh, that's an excellent, excellent question, Shreyans. So, I mean, it's it's today literally. If you look around your house or your kitchen, mm -hmm. every electronic device that you see has some sort of chip in there, right? True. Whether it's the front panel of your uh, uh, microwave where you're putting the time or uh, uh, using different uh, numbers that has a chip in it. If it's the front panel of your a basic uh, Sumit mixer, right? You don't see the electronics, but there is a, some, some type of chip in it to control the transformer, to control the speed settings and all of that, right? right. When you get into a car, almost even, even uh, cars, cars in India, across the world actually, there are tens of dozens of chips doing various functions inside a car. Yeah. Right. So you can start imagining it used to be just the laptops and the, uh, the old, old PCs, right, to start with. But now the chips are just proliferating absolutely everywhere in every domain of, uh, of our existence, right? Uh, uh, in, the, in the industrial, in the factory setting, right? Almost everywhere you see, there are some type of chips and systems that are, uh, let's call it, uh, controlling the machines, uh, right? Uh, there are chips that are not just controlling the machines, but are observing the machines, collecting data for preventive maintenance so that that chip or that whole system that is there can, before a machine breaks down, identify that, hey, I think it's going to send a signal to the factory operator or that there is going to be some problem. I'm detecting something is going to happen. Please bring down the machine right away and take immediate action before it actually breaks down. So that's part of the preventive maintenance, right? So that's another example of where chips are. Then you look at the medical field, same thing. Uh, the robotics has chips in it. The remote, remote operations that now people are doing uh, is because of uh, the capability of various chips and software and the systems that are getting developed, right? Everything we talk about 4G, 5G, all, all tied to silicon and chips and systems and software. So it's just everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So now this, this kind of actually scares me, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> because because uh, initially I was worried that, uh, you know, maybe Siri and Alexa were listening to me. Now I have to also worry about my toothbrush listening to me. <laughs> well, I think not everything is going to listen to you, right? But you're right, you're right. There's more and more uh, uh, concern 
that these are became, becoming very prevalent. And I mean, that's why you see a lot of the security and privacy issues when it comes to phones and even Alexa. I actually have Alexa enabled uh, uh, sound bars, but we turn Alexa off. Alexa is not on. We just use it for the sound and nothing else. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. So what I hear is that these chips, which we predominantly knew were used in laptops and in mobile phones, now they are used in your micro microwaves as well, the paneling of it, maybe dozens of them in your car as well, in different industrial machineries as well, in medical equipment as well, right? So yes, this is yes. one field that is pretty much touching, disrupting all of them. Absolutely, right? absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. Rajit, sir, uh, what are some of the upcoming and big uses of these semiconductors or chips, mm. right? Mm. So maybe it right. could be at a primitive stage right now in those fields, but they will absolutely boom in the future. Right, right. So <clears throat> I would say there are uh, clearly two or three big areas of growth, right? Uh, uh, the first one is, of course, uh, autonomous uh, driving, right? So th there are chips in the automobiles today, but they are doing basic engine control, monitoring your fuel level, or helping with the uh, navigation system, or helping with the media for, for music playback and things like that, right? So that's been around for more than a decade, I would say, uh, 12, 15 years, right? Those kind of chips in the automobiles. The big, big push over the last few years has been uh, uh, kind of building the systems along with uh, the various sensors, right? There are radars that are put around the car. There are leaders put around the car and so on so that it can detect and take action based on what, it, the, what the car is seeing as it is driving down the road, right? That is a huge, huge field. I mean, clearly Tesla is just taken off uh, uh, with, its, with its car offerings now. And then you can see almost every automobile company and even new companies are investing a lot of money in kind of getting to uh, autonomous car driving. Autonomous trucks has become a big, big part of it uh, because that allows the trucks to truck drivers to drive much longer without needing rest, uh, much more efficiently, and so on and so forth. So that's one big area, right? Uh, the the other big area is really on the industrialization and the factory automation part of it, right? This is really what they call industry 2.0. You may have heard that buzzword, industry 2.0, right? Right. right? Where previously, up until now, all the chips or the systems in the factories were primarily to control the machines, where an operator will input, take an MNC machine where you're going to cut up, cut some pieces, right? In, input the different coordinates and the dimensions, and the machine would then uh, take the action of cutting, cutting whatever, right? Patterns and all of that. Mm. Now it's extending beyond that. As the example I gave you, where it's, doing monitoring of the machines for early prevention and early indication. That's a huge field, right? Really, I would say today, maybe 30, 40% of the very high-end top factories have now deployed all of these, but still there are so many factories around the world which have not really embraced industry 2.0, right? So that's another big area. Uh, uh, the the third, third bucket I would call is, there is this whole concept of, artificial intelligence or machine learning, right? On how are you taking all the data that you have out there and uh, really identifying patterns through that data. And then once you identify patterns, if you see a fresh set of data, then the machine is gonna predict what may happen in that situation. And this gets applied to weather reporting, weather monitoring, 
earthquake reporting and monitoring and kind of predictive, again, early warning systems, but also is getting applied into a lot of the pharmaceutical areas. A great example is the mRNA viruses that got, sorry, the vaccines that got developed so quickly in 12 months was directly tied into the foundational machine learning capabilities that those pharma companies were using to get there, right? So those are uh, kind of two or three of the really big upcoming areas uh, for for chips and systems, right? Yep. So, sir, I have a related question to that. Uh, so you spoke about machine learning and uh, autonomous vehicles. So majorly I've heard about uh, people using GPUs instead of using microprocessors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are the impacts of GPUs, particularly on microprocessors nowadays? Like how it is uh, changing the microprocessors itself? In a, in a way, it, it, the simple way to think about a trance is a GPU cannot function without a microprocessor. That is true. A that GPU true. has to have the has main have microprocessor it. to run the operating system, to run the software and all that, right? You yeah. cannot just put a GPU in a box and do something with it. That has to be the main microprocessor. Yeah, like right? the Snapdragon is right now integrating GPU and uh, the computing itself into a single chip. So into a single chip, yeah, right, yeah. right. So, so in the in the in the mobile space uh, or laptop space, uh, that is absolutely true, right? You're doing more and more integration. But when you look at a, a, a Nvidia graphics card, for example, right, mm-hmm. which is a discrete graphics card, that has so much more performance and so much more capabilities than what you would get from integrating something. In a, in a Snapdragon, okay. right? So those high performance cards are what then along with the high performance microprocessor are getting used to, to do kind of the autonomous car uh, example that I talked about, right? Where it's constantly monitoring all the input it's getting from the dozens of radars and uh, uh, sensors that are set around the car. There's so much data that's coming in constantly uh, and so to be able to process that much data and make quick decisions on what the car shall do, mm. you need that kind of compute power with the graph GPUs and the uh, high performance processors and all of that uh, in that system that is controlling and monitoring the car. So essentially, uh, all the data is processed by GPU and the decision is taken by microprocessor. It's, it's a mix. It's, it's a, a mix, mix, right? It's There's mix. some data that is processed by GPU, some that is processed by microprocessor, and then the processor and the software that's running it, analyzing it, is finally going to make the decisions for the car and then send the control signals back to either the steering wheel or the brake system or whatever to take some particular action, right? Got it. That was, that was certainly very insightful. Yeah, that was. Now, uh, for uh, our non-technical listeners, so what I'll do is I'll just try and summarize the conversation that we just had. So a couple of fields to look out for one, is the autonomous vehicles industry, drive cars, trucks in a big way as well. Absolutely. Industrial machines, correct? Yes. yes. Also pharma, right? So these uh, high powered chips are able to process all of these different data streams and do all of these complex calculations. And they're used, they they have application in fields like mRNA, which is today the technology behind the COVID vaccine as well. Absolutely. And and just extending that a little further, Darsh. uh, also, a lot of lot of uh, work happening in kind of gene sequencing and understanding the human gene and all of that. Right, that requires a lo- lots of I an mean, unbelievable amounts of computing power. Right, over over hundreds and thousands of very high performance machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's another area. Right, that, that's that's been uh, uh, quite 
uh, a lot of focus has been played on placed on that one uh, we talked about a few buzzwords right in the last 10 minutes talked about industry 2.0 we talked about ai ml another buzzword that many people i'm sure are aware of is iot right internet internet of things that's another area it's really it's again the chips and the systems iot in a in a very simplistic way is uh, we talked about the the chips that are all around us all the time right whether it be the microwave or the fridge or the cell phone or the laptop and all of that iot is essentially how do we have all these different chips and devices start talking to each other right, right. so there are these things things which have chips and communication mechanisms how do we talk to each other so simple example is very soon or maybe already there in india if you if you have a microwave oven you can be going home in your car and through your cell phone you can tell the microwave oven to chalo abhi chai peena hai to chai garam karna shuru karo i'll be home in 10 minutes right right right, right. right? so that is basic example of iot where the two devices are now able to talk to each other right, right. or you can say uh, many, many of the cars new cars in the us or in the cold countries you can be sitting at home inside inside your house and you can tell the engine to start so the car heats up hmm. or you can go sit in and start driving Correct. on the phone so that's a simple example of iot right connected devices true understood understood somebody yeah, rings yeah. the doorbell you actually get a picture of that person on your mobile app. get a picture on the phone right you can see who it is and decide if you want to uh, respond or just ignore 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 kar do <laughs> okay yeah. awesome yeah. awesome so lately what i've also been seeing is that the semiconductor industry has making has has been making consistent headlines right one for its wild adoption of the arm technology over the x86 technology where what i understand is that arm is simpler consumes lesser energy and because of the recent developments around the technology it has also started performing better right and that is replacing right. the x86 technology that traditional players like intel i think used or still continue using and secondly right. the demand for chips has skyrocketed while the supply is scarce so could you tell us on a very high level about our about x86 and the present production crunch that the semiconductor industry is facing yeah yeah no great question so i think uh, i'll kind of parse it into those two sections right we'll maybe spend a few minutes talking about x86 and arm uh, <clears throat> the way to look at it it's x86 is really a architecture definition or a architecture spec that intel of course came up with Uh, and then eventually got adopted by amd as well so those are the two companies that all the part all the chips that they make whether it's the amd or intel chips for uh, pcs or laptops or for the servers data centers they are based on the x86 architecture right which is kind of a way of how, defining how the chip functions what are the different pieces of the chip now in parallel to that uh, uh, I, about i would say 25 30 years ago this arm company based out of cambridge uk kind of define a arm architecture okay? okay which was different in some ways the specification of the architecture is different it has uh, uh, just a different approach of how you would design and define a chip and in the early days of the arm architecture yes it was much simpler easier to implement lower power and hence the adoption of arm architecture was predominantly in the mobile and the uh cell phone space or the tablet space where power power is critical you want to have be able to use your phone for 2 and 3 days without having to constantly be charging it right 
power was important in those those even still important today but more more so and so an x86 design chip would not do so well in a cell phone for example because it takes x86 chips take a lot more power so then consequently your cell phone battery won't last uh, and so arm made huge inroads in the mobile space uh, for the last 20 20 years right so pretty much every phone you look at or every tablet you look at is based on arm right pretty much in 100% 100% okay right there is no x86 in a phone or a tablet just on just on the pcs uh, no pcs and laptops, laptops yeah and all the data center right i mean you you do aws cloud or microsoft azure cloud and all the data all, all the stuff that google is running for your search everything if you have an iphone and you're going to uh, play itunes uh, if you're uh, uh, watching or listening or uh, uh, going to facebook or twitter all of the backend stuff is done in data centers based on x86 okay. all of those high performance stuff is thousands and thousands of machines sitting in these large data centers around the world all running x86 based either intel based or amd based right so that's kind of the distinction now what's happened in the last few years is the arm architecture definition has been i mean every year they change or add more capabilities or features to the architecture definition right so that has constantly improved and so very recently it has allowed companies like my current company ampere computing to take arm architecture and design and productize high performance chips that can also be used in the data center right which is the main main product focus for ampere computing today where our main product line is how do we take arm architecture and build our own high performance chips that can then compete with intel and amd also in the data center right so that is that is kind of the evolution of arm so today in the data center i would say still 90% plus ownership or chips are sold which are made based on x86 by intel and amd right and just in the last year or two uh the arm based products uh uh ampere uh, uh, computing that launched our product last year and will continue to launch new products every year and so on is slowly starting to make inroads uh in the data center space as well so that's kind of hopefully that uh, gives you an understanding of arm versus x86 right right what i understand here is that the predominant advantage that arm brings is delivering the same level of performance while consuming lesser energy right exactly exactly so that is and that is again uh, kind of unique and critical in the data center right because mm-hmm. if if you look at the uh, i wish i had a video or something but microsoft data center is thousands and thousands of systems that are in this factory setting uh, which are just running 24 hours 7 days a week just non stop consuming a lot of power mm. right there are data centers specifically google and microsoft established data centers near power plants because they need so much power so they particularly established the data centers near power plants mm-hmm. near hydroelectric dams and so on okay wow okay uh, and, and so you, you can imagine let's just take some do some simple math right let's just imagine that a data center is going to consume 20 kilowatt hours of of power right and it's able to power a thousand systems in that data center with that much power that is coming in 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that power is fixed, right? Because they built a factory, the power delivery is fixed. They cannot just keep increasing the power. Now with the ARM-based products, what if in the same power footprint or power envelope, instead of thousand systems, they can run 1200 systems or 1500 systems with the same performance, mm-hmm. right? Suddenly your data center capability went up, right? Right. And still delivering more performance without changing the power that is coming in. So that's a unique... Uh, advantage of ARM-based uh, uh, processes that we are building for the data center. As so, a matter of fact, I've also heard about underwater data centers. I think this was an initiative by Microsoft. Right? That's right. Microsoft has some, Google has some underwater data centers because it helps with the cooling and keeps the power low because there's so much heat that is generated in these data centers with the thousands and thousands of systems. Right. So just, right, right. just one small question to bring about the contrast. Now, let's say, for example, in terms of percentage, okay, how much might an ARM technology-based chip, how much power might it help to conserve, right? So how, how efficient is it as compared to, let's say, your regular x86 chip that is presently used? So, so the current generation uh, Ampere products that are out there, right? So, uh, and compared to the current generation Intel or AMD x86 uh, data center products, uh, to, we are able to deliver something which is equal or better performance mm-hmm. with Intel, right? Let's just say the car is a 20% better performance. So it's running faster and be able to process things 20% faster at 30% lower power. Oh, okay. Okay. That right? Is, that so that's a that's huge gap. It is huge. It is huge. Yeah. 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 So that's that's one example. Hundreds of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars in savings, probably. Exactly, and so now uh, I'll 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 throw or uh, share another buzzword that gets used in the data center industry. Uh, it's a three-letter acronym called the TCO. Okay. TCO Tiger Charlie Orange, right? And the full full form stands for Total Cost of Ownership. Okay. Okay. Right. We talked about the, the data center factories get set up, the power delivery, the control mechanism for these thousands and thousands of servers that have to be running. If they are able to deploy ARM-based servers in that same space and the total cost of ownership goes down, that is always what the data center operators are looking for. So how do you give a better, improve the TCO and keep the same performance, right? That is always the name of the name of the game. Okay. Okay. So, uh, uh, yeah, I have a very, uh, I would say, different question on the same matter. Uh, uh-huh. Do you think ARM will take over x86 and x86 will get obsolete? I don't. I don't think so. Time? It is not about. Yeah, not really about taking over each other, right? I think yeah. there is the the rate at which we talked about, uh, just in general, the rate at which the chip deployment is happening around the world in so many domains, mm-hmm. the rate at which all these data centers are growing at, at just when ridiculous, uh, you, can, you can look up the statistics on how fast Microsoft data centers are growing, how fast Google data centers are growing, okay. literally adding 20, 30% more capacity every year because, because the demand is there. I mean, YouTube is now playing, I, I forget the actual numbers, YouTube is playing 300,000 hours of video around the world every day. So all that is getting pumped through the data centers, all that content, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everything is running on data centers. So it's growing so fast that there is enough opportunity for both 
existing players, large players who have been the, the, the predominant suppliers of chips and systems, Intel and AMD, as well as up and coming companies like Ampere and so on, enough, enough opportunity for all the companies to succeed. So it's not about one taking over versus the other. I don't think that we'll ever ever get to that point. Okay. And it's not healthy for the industry also. There has to be, there good, be good competition. competition yeah. Enough, good competition, right? So you want to maintain that uh, competitiveness uh, so that you keep innovating and coming up with better products for, for the consumers and the businesses, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Now, having spoken, I think I want to go back to the other question about just okay. the semiconductor shortage and what okay. is happening in the industry today, right? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, what you see today, you've heard about the, I'm sure your viewers have heard about the automotive shortage in the automotive industry, right? Where the chips okay. supply has gone down. And we talked about the various applications to the chips. In general, the demand for chips around the world in the various areas has grown so fast over the last two, three years. And the supply side, which is the various factories that are needed uh, to, to keep the chip production, to do the, the design of the chips, to manufacturing of the chips has not kept up with that demand. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and because the demand in a way probably grows much faster because it's easier to design and adopt chips into various systems. The time it takes to build one factory for the latest technology chip manufacturing, $5 billion and three years. Wow, okay. Five billion. So you can imagine, uh, and that's why if you read about the one of the largest foundries, or we call it foundry, but the chip manufacturing company is based in Taiwan, yes. uh, TSMC. Yes. They recently announced they are going to invest one hundred billion dollars over the next five years to build more factories to produce the chips to keep up with the demand. Wow. Okay. So it seems okay. like there's a solid move around this. Uh, around the manufacturing at least. So not I mean, that's one, that manufacturing factory, but then all of the associated industries that are there, the equipment that goes in the factory, which is very specialized, very unique. And that's why the building a factory costs $5 billion because the equipment itself is so expensive. The chemicals that are needed in the various processing steps. I mean, all of that supply chain has to come together and it takes three to five years from when somebody does a groundbreaking to having that factory start producing the chips, right? And so the supply side of it has to catch up. And so we fully expect, it's unfortunate, but expect that there is going to be continued uh, kind of shortage of uh, particular types of chips uh, until all these companies start uh, increasing and ramping up, ramping up production, production very aggressively. I'll, I'll tell you a story. So, the first chip I worked on at, in, just to give you, give, you, give you and everybody an idea of the scale, right? The first chip I worked on, I talked about when I joined Intel, junior engineer, worked on that first chip, which, which was primarily for a laptop or a PC type application. The number of transistors that were in that, in that chip were, uh, I would say about five, five and a half to six million transistors in that, in that one chip. Okay, the, the chip that we launched at Ampere Computing last year, which I said is going getting used in data centers, 60 billion transistors. <laughs> okay, so you can tell how much, and, and a lot of it is tied to 
how the manufacturing technology in that same Absolutely. tiny little tiny little uh, chip the chips we are talking about are uh, 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 two and a half centimeters by two and a half centimeters and there is 60 billion transistors packed into that into that tiny little piece of real I mean it's smaller smaller it's like one one tenth of this credit card right and 60 billion transistors are packed into that that is kind of the capability that that is there today in terms of what you can do with these uh, in the chip design field. So given the number of changes that are taking place one uh, in terms of manufacturing, right? Uh, the likes of Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company, they're trying to cope up, they're trying to expand to meet mm -hmm. the demand that has simply skyrocketed. How exciting do you think is the future first uh, in terms of chip manufacturing, right? And also in terms of ARM and x86 and the further adoption that that uh, the ARM technology will make within this industry. I mean, this field is, uh, I, I've been in this field for 30 plus years now, right? First 25 years through various roles at Intel and the last now three and a half years since we formed, uh, formed Ampere Computing. And it, it is absolutely, an exciting field. It continues to grow in leaps and bounds in, in so many different areas, right? We just, even, even going back to the earlier conversation we had about just literally any room you sit in your house, right? I'm sitting here, printer, phone, uh, monitor, laptop, uh, weighing machine, already in this tiny room that I'm sitting in, there are six different devices I can point out that have chips in it. Right. Uh, so, so, I mean, the field is phenomenal. And again, going back to it, manufacturing is a big, big side of it. But uh, I want to go back to the basics, right? Foundation has to be strong in the basic science and math, mathematics. That's where you start, right? Get a robust foundation there in your college, in your school, uh, in, in physics, chemistry, mathematics, if you want to enter, enter this field, right? Uh, and then you start uh, kind of building on top of it and like I said, it could be in the software domain, right? You could entirely be a software expert, but still be part of the chip design and uh, hardware design industry because you could be developing the tools that we use to design our chips. You could be developing the tools that we get used to manufacture uh, and control the equipment in the factories, right? Or then you talk about the actual chip design. There is the other software that I talked about is embedded in the chips to allow it to do its function and control it and all of that. There is a whole aspect of physics and chemistry which goes into the manufacturing side of things which allows uh, companies to build the technology to pack the 80 billion or 60 billion transistors in such a tiny area. It's everything to do with physics and chemistry, right? So again, the field is, is so vast that, uh, that you could just start building the foundation and then grow in, 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 in these different areas. Yep. That was, that was amazing, sir. Like we had no idea that a chip can ha have 60 billion transistors in it. Right, yeah, right. I've it heard is that phenomenal the, what has yeah, happened. Yeah. I've heard that the nanometers are shrinking uh, like quite a lot now. It yeah, is, I mean, the, the latest, the latest uh, uh, technology, right, uh, is uh, five nanometer. Five nanometer. Uh, so the the Apple, the next, I think, the Apple uh, iPhone 13, uh, which will come out later this year, will be the first first part, first device or uh, system that will have a five nanometer chip in it, right? And then uh, three nanometer is already uh, in development 
and the first 3 nanometer chips will come out in uh, most likely 2023 okay 2023 so it's yeah it's it's uh, the race the race is just phenomenal to get smaller and smaller and allow you to pack more transistors uh, more features uh, uh, more performance and all of that yeah so it's very very insightful to know the level of technology and the complexity of technology that might go into something as simple as your printer or as simple as maybe even your alarm clock or your microwave right yes 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 I, I, again the the chips are uh, uh, i would say the the level of complexity may be different because you can imagine to control a microwave uh, it, it's relatively simple right uh, so it it could be a really simple uh, chip to do that while to uh, control an autonomous driving car we talked about the thousands and thousands of different inputs that are coming in from the radar and lidar because it is a life uh, kind of a life or death uh, situation, situation right so you yeah. better be accurate in terms of processing everything very quickly processing is good but it has to be very fast also so you can react to things right and and then send the control back so there there the capability and the requirements of those chips and the systems are extremely complicated right similarly the uh, imagine the chips that are in your uh, planes that are controlling the the all the plane uh, different uh, systems in the plane the hydraulic systems the fuel system the landing gear the the uh, all of those better be super uh, kind of safe otherwise we'll have unfortunate disasters everywhere right so i mean th those are so super critical and uh, extremely important things also to worry about as we design the chips absolutely so uh, sir we have been talking about a lot of technical stuff uh i think our listeners want to also know about you so could you tell us mm -hmm. about your exciting journey so far and uh, how oh, did you oh certainly certainly so how did you manage right. to get uh, manage to dodge your failures and how did you cope up with them how did you manage right, to right, right. Uh, celebrate your successes so something <laughs> yes yes so i think uh, uh, as i as i started saying earlier right uh, I, uh, spent most of my youth in uh, mumbai uh through high school and college and then uh, came over to the us for uh, undergraduate and grad studies in engineering and then joined intel right so i think one of the one of the early lessons uh, uh learned uh, at intel again it was a small team uh and the willingness to uh ask questions and learn about new areas with with the senior people that are around you right is is absolutely critical right that's one the willingness to when you see something that is not getting done or you don't understand taking ownership and saying okay hey, i am going to learn a little bit about this and i am going to make sure i do it rather than saying i can't do it or it's not my area of expertise right you don't want to do that you want to jump in and take the ownership and talk to the right people and learn and uh, so that that willingness to jump in i think helped me a lot in the later years of my career uh, the one other aspect is you will fail you will make mistakes right it's okay some of these things that we all do in our careers are very complex right they are in some cases there are things that you are attempting or your team is attempting to do for the first time there is nobody else who has done it before there so you can say okay we are going to repeat what this other group did no many times we are doing it with the team for the very first time so you have to understand that hey it's absolutely okay to make mistakes the key is if you make a mistake how far do you recover how fast do you recover and find a new area, new path to continue the project uh, uh working on the project 
coming up with new ideas and brainstorming and it's okay we made a mistake let's quickly recover and move on right those are the things that uh, really i think made me made me uh, very successful through the uh, through the later parts of my career right and then the the other area was it takes in some of these fields medicine chip design these deep engineering fields it takes years and years to kind of build that expertise right these days i see many many engineers unfortunately even in the us where they will work in a particular role for 12 months and 18 months and say oh i'm an expert now i'm going to do something else hmm. that is not how it works you need to spend some time and dedicate yourself in that area to build some deep expertise it is good to move into different areas eventually but not in 12 months you're not going to be able to build that level of expertise in 12 months right True. today we see a i do see a lot of people who like just say okay i'm done with this i'm going to do something else in 12 months and do something else in 12 months and they're hopping companies and all that it's great for a while but then in the end you end up being jack of all trades and master of none <laughs> right so that's another thing that i learned through my career but hey take take the time on a when, when there's a full project and typically projects are anywhere from 3 to 4 years right so oh. in, for a given project spend time in one area and get that expertise and get that uh, uh, uh level of detail and then maybe on the next project you can decide to do something else right so those are some of the idea i think the the other thing that's helped me through my career is uh finding good mentors that is a big big part of success right and where there's always somebody who is at a senior level technical uh, more advanced or more knowledgeable than you who can be there to uh just informally guide you help you if you have a choice between taking jobs you you want to go to that mentor and kind of uh, uh bounce around ideas on pros and cons of which which is a better choice and so having a good mentor in your at all stages of career even even when i i uh, was a vice president and intel promoted to vice president i still had a mentor right it's not that you don't need a mentor at a certain level absolutely not true you want to have mentors at all stages of your career okay. right uh, so having a strong mentor mentor is great i think so those again are uh, uh, some of the things that i think helped me in my career and uh, help me uh, grow and uh, grow and develop and really uh, what what i'm able to do today my my responsibility at ampere today is uh, really uh, uh, leading and leading the teams which are developing like i said the high performance arm um, uh, based uh microprocessor for the data center the making sure we work with our manufacturing partners to finish the manufacturing and testing working with customers to build the systems for them and deploy the systems in the data center so all of that function is my responsibility uh, at ampere and in many ways i'm able to do that uh, at ampere successfully is because of all the learnings and uh the the experiences that i gained over the 25 26 years that i spent at intel uh working the different roles working at the different sites that's another thing right so if you get an opportunity to work in different countries that adds a very different dimension uh where it gives you a uh, understanding of how different cultures work how different people think i mean i worked in penang malaysia bangalore india uh uh austin texas santa clara california and portland oregon those five different sites for intel every every site has a different culture the people 
how they react, how they take direction, how, how much innovation they can do, just unique experiences, right? So you get to learn through all these experiences and then develop, develop that mindset of how you can lead uh, global teams and make them very effective and uh, 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 be able to produce a, a, a good uh, a kind of challenging, innovative designs and works and so on. Okay, okay. So, so, so quite a few takeaways here. So I think the first one being that always be willing to jump in, always be willing to ask all of those questions, right? That's the only yes. way you can. I'll tell you just a one quick, one quick, uh, not, not joke, but a, so uh, uh, we, we, we have interns coming in or freshies coming into our companies, either at Intel or Rampier, right? So many times I will, on their first week, I will uh, have a one hour just informal chat with them and uh, talk, talk to them about the company and things like that. One of the things I tell them is you're no longer in your college, right? You've finished your exams. Anything that you do here, it's not like an exam. If you cannot do it on your own, you have to ask a question. You don't, don't expect that it's my final exam, even at work and everything is something I have to do, manage on my own, right? So that's yeah. something I remind all the freshies and interns that this is not like an exam. Ask, raise your hand and ask question if you don't understand it. Right. That is very important in any, any, any career. Very true. Absolutely, absolutely. Also, one other thing that you said, I found that to be very interesting, right? So a lot of people now want to work for eight months, 10 months, 12 months, and then they become experts, correct? Then they want to switch fields. So it does not work that way. You'll have to give it enough time so that you can actually be somebody who has that dearth of knowledge to then add Exactly. True that. Job. Exactly. Yep, yep. Very true. Another interesting thing, always have a mentor. No matter, it does not matter if you're an associate vice president tomorrow, you could be very senior, a vice president probably, but always have, have that mentor, that coach who can direct you, who can guide you in the right direction. Very true, very true, yeah. And moreover, try and get as much as worldly exposure as possible. Go to different places, see how things work there. I think that really, really broadens your horizon. That's a great, great summary, Darsh, yes. That was very insightful. Now, now I'll, I'll dive into the next question. And I think this podcast is incomplete without the next question, right? Uh, because here in India, we, uh, since quite some time, we've had this enthusiasm of going vocal for local, right? So how do you see India's role shaping up in the semiconductor or in the silicon or in the chip field, right? Now, what right, I've right. so far is that you have to actually deploy billions of dollars in order to put a chip manufacturing plant. So that might not be the immediate future for India, but what I can also think of, we could be the go-to pool for human capital, right? When it comes to engineers, when it comes to designers, when it comes to uh, other people that have to, uh, that, that uh, help within that entire end-to-end -end process that you described, correct? So where, where do you see India fitting into the larger uh, story of the semiconductor field? No, no, absolutely. I think you nailed it, right? I think if, if, you, if you go back to the spectrum of, different opportunities in that entire space that we talked about. Uh, the tools, tool development, for example, that is used, there's already large, large design centers. Uh, I mean, the, the big tool companies are really companies like Cadence or Synopsys and Mentor Graphics, right? Mm -hmm. Those are three large companies that produce the tools that we use for our chip design. All three of them have large design centers in India uh, for more than a decade now. Okay. Right? Oh. Either Hyderabad or Bangalore or Noida or Pune, right? Already there, right? Uh, chip design, uh, the, the actual act uh, uh, when I was in Bangalore, this was in 2007, 
2011, we were doing large 50 and 100 million transistor chips out of my team in Bangalore, doing the actual design and the testing in the labs there, right? Companies like Texas Instruments has been in India since the 70s hmm. doing chip design. So in India, chip design is not new to India at all, right? It's been, it's been there are so many companies there uh, uh, I mean, if you if you go to Ring Road in Bangalore, where Intel offices are, and you just drive around that uh, uh, Ring Road, you will see endless companies there: TI, NVIDIA, ARM, AMD, uh, NXP, Broadcom, Qualcomm, MediaTek. Everybody's there on the Ring Road with large offices. When I say large, I'm talking about thousands of engineers. Okay. 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 So, chip again, it's not new. Uh, so I would say, and then if you look at the, the system side of things, right, where companies that are building cell phones or PCs and laptops, there are already companies doing that uh, in India as well, right? So of the entire spectrum, I would say the big portion that is really missing is the uh, uh, chip manufacturing uh, plants, because again, they are expensive, they require a lot of infrastructure, they require a they guaranteed supply of, I talked about basic water, electricity, uh, chemicals. So I think partly India has attempted to do it some time ago, but I think the infrastructure in India sometimes comes in the way. So I think that needs to develop and kind of grow. And I know the current uh, current uh, uh, federal government, central Modi's government has have plans to kind of establish uh, chip design and chip manufacturing factories in India also. So there are plans for that. Uh, but it's going to take some time. Like I said, it's five, It's a lot of expense, $5 billion and takes three to four years, right? Uh, but all the other fields, India has already been playing in this, in this domain for, uh, uh, I would say, since the 70s. And the number of people is just staggering. I mean, even for a small company like Ampere today, we have a 65-person design team in Bangalore. And we just opened uh, or just on the verge of opening a Pune Design Center. Right. It, it's, it's actually surprising. So a lot of names that you took, right? Uh, I was aware about, I think, two, three of them. But most of the other names, while they also hire thousands of engineers here in India, I, I simply did not know about these companies. Even a lot of people don't know about that. A lot of freshers don't know about uh, that these companies do exist in India and they have opportunities in these fields. Oh, huge, huge. I mean, NXP, for example, uh, is, is building chips, ARM-based chips for industrial automation, mm -hmm. IOT, uh, a lot of the chips that go into like we divide, like the stuff we talked about, microwaves, refrigerators, all the simpler controls. NXP builds a huge portfolio of chips that all go into those kind of fields. Uh, uh, Broadcom uh, similarly does a lot of things in the 4G, 5G uh, uh, server space, networking space. Qualcomm, of course, you know, Snapdragon and uh, phone, phone stuff. Uh, yeah, so these these companies have been around for years and years and uh, doing quite well. And then, of course, the traditional Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, they are also there in, in uh, multiple, actually, yeah, they are there in multiple parts of India, right? I know Bangalore for sure, Hyderabad, uh, uh, Noida area, Gur Gurgaon area in the north. Uh, uh, there are smaller design teams in, I know Ahmedabad has a, a lot of uh, design teams. One other interesting area, for, for your listeners to explore is there are design services companies also, right? These companies we talked about are actually picking product, but many times what happens even at Ampere where we are in the middle of a design 
and certain phases of the design we need to add 20 30 more capacity percent capacity to to help finish our project what we do then is we will contract out to a design service company who has people with that expertise and they will bring in 20 30 people for say 6 months or 9 months for us to help help us do our design so they'll be with us on contract for 9 months do certain parts of the design and they'll go away so there's a lot large wipro hcl infosys companies like that are design services companies who also employ thousands and thousands of engineers in the chip design space so that's that's very insightful i'm sure this is this is almost like music to the yoga party <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep yep uh, absolutely so you have actually covered lot of our uh, next questions like what are the skills required and what are the most in demand jobs out there uh, so uh, if you want to add something on that you can uh, like the platform is open. no no i think i think i i i keep coming back to uh the the foundation right yeah. focus on establishing a strong foundation in the basic sciences and mathematics and then build on top of it right that without that i mean all those other things we talked about uh, you won't be able to kind of grow into that without having that strong uh, strong i think curious we talked about some of the behavioral aspects of things which is being curious being willing to jump in and learn uh, realize that you will make mistakes ask for help but also the basic foundation and having a strong uh, education in the basic sciences and math is is super critical however so just to summarize very quickly what are the most in demand jobs most in demand careers right within the sectors at present and also the ones that are cropping up right so that are predominant that make may can come uh, in later stage Uh, right now i mean again we talked the i keep coming it's pretty simple actually the explosion in chip usages around everything that we see has driven the demand for good chip designers so high the salaries are just astronomical even somebody who is one to two years out of basic engineering college is getting paid a lot of money even in india It's just astronomical salaries because the demand is so high, and and the supply side, like you said, Darsh, at the beginning of your beginning of this talk, many people just go into uh, uh, architecture, software, and all that. So the number of engineers who have come in into core engineering, which is what is needed for chip design, has dwindled over the last uh, decade or so, right? And but the demand has skyrocketed. Right. Uh, and so the salary i mean very similar to the ic demand has skyrocketed the factories have not kept kept up right. same thing because the ic demand has skyrocketed the need for designers has skyrocketed in all these domains but the supply side through the engineering colleges and all that is not kept up mm-hmm. right so there will be i would say i don't see the demand for good solid chip engineers software engineers go away at all it's just going to continue growing and growing and growing so uh, sir as we spoke that uh, generally college placements do not like they don't have the they don't get the opportunity to get into these fields so how do you suggest a, a fresher could apply to these fields like what could be the way to get into these fields well i mean uh, not really sure i understand the question why why do you say that because we hire uh, i mean if you're out of some good engineering colleges Uh, I'll take uh, the regional REC uh, regional colleges in India, IITs, IITs of course. Yeah, yeah, 
Pune Pune Engineering College, which which was which I was I was born in Pune. So Pune Engineering College, BJTI in Mumbai. If you come out out of those colleges, it's absolutely uh, possible to get good, really good roles. I mean, we are high, uh, most companies in India in these fields that we talked about are hiring uh, literally hundreds and thousands of uh, entry level engineers that are coming out of these colleges. So I think the opportunity is absolutely there. And then for further studies, I think either you can, uh, the, the students can then get into MTech. I know the IITs have some really good grad, grad school opportunities now, which also spend a lot of their curriculum on chip design aspects, right? So either that, that's one path. Other path is then of course to come overseas, whether it's overseas in the US or UK or Germany or Japan, Universities around the world have deep curriculum in in these different fields that we discussed, right? So th those would I would say be be kind of the paths that uh, your viewers uh, and your students should consider. Yeah, that will so be a good insight. Let's say we have a twenty something listener right at present, uh, who whose interest has been peaked after listening to our conversation. Correct. Mm -hmm. Now, if he wants to apply or if he wants to make a career in this field, does he first have to have a core engineering degree? Or can he probably be somebody who's self-taught? Can he probably take up online courses on good platforms like Coursera? Can he probably watch a, watch a lot of YouTube videos? Can he probably do that? And then can he apply and yeah. be trained on the job? Uh, will that work? Or does he have to have uh, an undergrad degree and then a master's degree for him to be eligible? Right, right. I think this area, I would say it's difficult to, to learn online and just uh, uh, come into the role, right? I think it, uh, maybe on the software side, we talked about uh, the software uh, development that is needed to develop the tools and all that. In that area, potentially you could learn, learn something, learn good C++, Java, basic programming. Uh, but even there, because the tools are used to develop the chips itself, you need to have an understanding of the electricals and the electronics and all of that, right? Which you typically won't learn without actually having a good uh, four-year de engineering degree. So I think to be to be to to be able to have a really good, strong career in this field, I think a engineering degree, the basic foundational sciences and mathematics to start with, and then a good engineering degree is essential, in a way. Okay, okay, okay. I'm so sorry. I just noticed that we've uh, we've actually uh, crossed uh, gone past the hour. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, I guess no. This we... was great. I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed talking to you both and sharing sharing my thoughts and experiences, and really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Okay. So, so hey. what I'll do is I'll just very quickly summarize the last answer for our listeners. Right. So, largely, you'll have to have one of these four degrees, like electrical engineering or computer engineering, for you to be able to make a mark in this industry. Now, as far as software tools are concerned, you can still be self-taught. But as far as design, the architecture part of it is concerned, it's better to always get a degree and then enter this field, right? Which is absolutely pretty much paying you exponentially higher than what your average job at, let's say, TCS and courses would probably pay you, right? Because this is the need of the art. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Okay, okay, so okay. I guess we can conclude with this. Uh, Rohit sir, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here uh, and taking out your time for our session. Uh, I would like to also thank our uh, Rotary uh, Club of Mumbai, Dai, sir, for giving us this opportunity and doing this uh, podcast. Uh, I hope our viewers and listeners will be able to take something out of this. And 
they will get they will have uh, some good knowledge based on this thank you so much thank you thank you darshan chayans uh, really enjoyed the, once again talking to both of you and uh, yeah hope hope uh, your viewers also enjoy our conversation thank you so much for the insightful conversation now something tells me that uh, 20 30 years into the future right when there'll be uh, some other senior person like yourself correct who'll be talking about the semiconductor industry then right we probably be like my starting point was uh, watching the first episode of the future framework yeah where where darshriyans and mr rohit with once were talking <laughs> that'll be wonderful yes <laughs> awesome so so i i think uh, our listeners can actually get far 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 more than they expected to receive uh, from this conversation and thank you so much for that all right thank you i'm going to sign off now bye bye hey thank you so much on listening in on our very first episode of the future framework we promised to bring you more uh, of these cool and exciting episodes with cool and exciting people from time to time so in case you want to refer to all the good discussions that we had within this episode we are attaching a link in the description below which will take you to our blog where you will be able to refer and uh, you'll be able to read a summary of all of the discussions that we had and also we are going to include our uh, own details uh, so that you can contact us and if you have any queries uh, if you have any feedbacks please write write us back so that we can have uh, the proper feedback and we can uh, improve our sessions so that you guys can have a better listening uh, content also please share uh, all of this content with your friends and family right it will only encourage us to come up with uh, more and more such cool videos and podcasts thank, thank you, you so, so much, much guys thank you